Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Let's pray and ask God to touch us together. Can we do that? Lord, I love you this morning. I appreciate, God, the privilege that you've given us to come together and to be in your house. And we thank you for the power of your spirit. It is your spirit that touches us and imparts into us, God, the strength, not only physically but spiritually, to stand before you today. And we thank you for those that we've gathered with the fellowship in this hour In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And you can be seated. It is indeed an honor to be in the house of God always. To be in the presence of God, of course, does not solely depend upon being in one particular place. Because he said, when we gather together in his name, two or three are there. He promises to be in our midst. Amen, that is in reference to collective or corporate times. But I'm thankful that when I am all alone, amen, I can feel the power and the presence of God in my own home, in my car, wherever it may be. I'm thankful for the presence of the Lord. I'm thankful for the knowledge of God's word. I do not pretend by any stretch of the imagination to be the Bible answer man, but I am thankful for the knowledge that I do have. And I am thankful for my heritage in the Lord. Amen. This past Friday night, I was reminded a little bit about that heritage. And I'm thankful for that. I may speak about that a little bit later. I want to turn your attention to the book of Jude. And we're going to read verse number 3. The Bible says here, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. We have been given something very precious. We have been given something of great value. And it has been entrusted into our hands, in our heart, in our lives. And so Jude said we should contend for the faith. Amen. I am a strong proponent of standing for things that are worth standing for and fighting for things that are worth fighting for. Hallelujah. Contend for the faith. The early church in the book of Acts was a young church, but it was a growing church. And like any young or growing church, part of growing is growing pains. And some of those growing pains of the early church was recognized early on when they realized they needed more hands in the harvest. They needed some more people at stations of duty. There were things that needed to be done that were going undone. And so they appointed seven men, and these men would help in the daily duties of this growing church. Among those, we were introduced in Acts chapter 6, verse number 5, to a man by the name of Stephen. Now, in this list, Stephen is the first mentioned. 
And so it seems to indicate that perhaps Stephen was the leader of these seven. There's one thing we do know for sure, that Stephen was a powerfully anointed preacher of the gospel. Every mention of Stephen refers to him being full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In his sermon in Acts chapter 7, we can conclude from that that Stephen was well-versed in the law of the Old Testament. Therefore, when you combine the great faith and anointing upon his life with the knowledge that he had of the Word of God, that made him a very influential and a very effective preacher of his day. Stephen was not a man that we would perhaps deem today politically correct. As a matter of fact, he too probably had a ministry that was akin to John the Baptist. He condemned their fathers with the killing of the prophets who foretold Christ's coming. He declared them to be co-conspirators in his death. And then ultimately, Stephen in his sermon declared that they had not, in fact, kept the law. With that final accusation, these people had heard all they could hear. They had received all they were going to receive. And it was time for them now to push back. And their way of pushing back may seem very brutal in the day in which we live, but they were going to stone him. And so they picked up stones. And standing by in that crowd was a young man named Saul. This young man had been schooled by the best, trained by the best, set at the feet of the best. He was a very ambitious man, a very focused man, and he was a known persecutor of the early church. Therefore, he allowed this angry mob to fulfill what they set out to do, and that was take the life of Stephen. The Romans were tired of what they deemed the spirit of insurrection that was in this early church, and especially now being personified in the life of Stephen. So they set out to stop this as quickly as possible. We'll just nip this in the bud. We will put an end to this now. So they decided we'll stone him. And with the threat of that, I imagine some thought or assumed that he would back down or dial it back just a little bit. But Stephen would not change his message. Instead of backing down or instead of begging for mercy, we see in Acts 7.56 that Stephen declared, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This event not only ignited the church, but it also left an impact on the heart and the mind of that other man standing in the crowd that man saw. Little did he know, but the Lord had plans for Saul, plans that would definitely transform his life. Acts chapter 6 and verse number 3 says something interesting about this man, Stephen. The Bible says of Stephen that he was a man of a good report. A man of a good report. I believe that we must be people of great character if we are going to be people of great faith. I believe they go hand in hand. I believe that it's important that we have a good report. The Bible talks about having a good report within and without. Amen. I believe it shouldn't just be the church that thinks we're a good person, but I believe our neighbors ought to think we're good people. And 
people that we do business with outside of the work of God or the framework of church, we ought to have a good report within and without. Looking back once again, I realize that for it seems several services now that I've been going back to the life of Elijah and even mentioning Elijah and Elisha several times, but I want to go back there again today uh, just to make a point. Because when God instructed Elijah to choose a successor, the scripture paints a word picture for us. He gives us the scenario of, uh, of him passing by, Elijah passing by a man by the name of Elisha. And you can find this in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. And so here is the prophet Elijah that is passing by a young man by the name of Elisha. He saw him plowing in the field. And then he did something quite interesting. It might seem rather odd to us. But the Bible says that of Elijah, that when he passed by Elisha plowing in the field, that he threw his mantle over Elisha. Now, some suppose this to be a type of ceremony that was used to indicate that the person who had received that mantle, at least in that fashion, was going to be called to be a servant of that prophet. And so, while that may seem unorthodox in our culture, they certainly understood, those two men understood the significance of that moment. So one man going down the road, passing by another man working in the field, casting his garment, typified that this man is going to be my servant. And to one man, to the other man, it typified that I am going to be the servant to this prophet. Now, we, we do know that Elisha became Elijah's servant, and he served him faithfully. I want you to think about this unceremonious transaction for just a moment. When he received this mantle, he was in the field plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He was just doing what he did. This being in the field plowing was just something that was as common to him as whatever our daily jobs would be to us. And so when he receives this mantle, this mantle of servanthood, there was no promise of anything supernatural. There was no promise of a promotion. You just hang in there and everything's going to work out. For all Elisha knew, this this role of servanthood was going to be his destiny. This was that he would serve Elijah the rest of the days of his life. I'm going to hang up the plow. I'm going to put away this agricultural way of life. And I'm just going to be the servant of the prophet of God the rest of my life. And that was the conditions upon which he stepped into the will of God. After many years of serving, it became clear that like all, Elijah's days were coming to an end. He would, soon, he would soon find himself in another very strange scene where a chariot of fire would swoop down and take up Elijah. And before he has even time to process what happened, amen, out of the clouds came floating down that mantle, amen, that same mantle that had been cast on him so many, so much time before when he was just in the field, when he was in the field plowing. I think that it is very important to note something here. This was the second time that Elijah's mantle had fallen on Elijah, on Elisha. The first time that mantle came, it came upon him from the hands of Elijah. Are you with me? Amen. So the first 
the first mantle came from the hand of Elijah. But the second time the mantle came, it came on him from the hand of God. I believe the first time the mantle fell on him represented service. But the second time the mantle fell on him, it represented something supernatural. But I think there's something very, very important to consider in all of this. I don't believe that Elisha would have ever received the mantle of the supernatural if he had not first been willing to take up the mantle of service. Amen. I believe that we have to understand that God is looking for someone that he can depend on, that he can lay the, the weight of this work of his on this earthly kingdom. I believe he is looking for some shoulders upon which he can lay the, the weight and would bear the burden of the service, amen, of working within the kingdom of God. Often it seems that everybody wants that mantle of supernatural, you know. Amen. With signs and wonders and miracles, we all want that to just flow out the end of our hands. But very few people are standing in line for that mantle of service. Everybody wants the word, but not many people want to do the work. Everybody wants the fire, but nobody wants the fight that's involved to get the fire. Everybody wants the supernatural, but they're not always willing to sacrifice in order to find themselves in line for that. But we always should remember that I believe the second mantle is predicated on the first mantle. On, on the first mantle. <clears throat> we got to get in the line of service. <clears throat> we got to get in the line of service and say, here am I, Lord, use me. Just let me be conduit through which your spirit can flow and use me any way that you can. Striving, I believe, for the faith is about serving in the kingdom, striving, pressing, and then watching God do his part in giving us the gifts that we could never give ourselves. If you want God to use you, amen, in, in, in some unique way, I've got a key for you today. Just pick up those things that are around you and do what you know to do. Amen. And do there and work there and serve there and faithfully stand with God. And when God realizes that there is a faithfulness in our heart, he realizes that if I can trust him with a few things, then I can trust him with great things. If we will be faithful in the small things, then God can trust us with the great things in the future. I believe contending for the faith de declares and, and, and uh, demands of us that we be faithful. I believe that faith triggers the hand of God. I truly believe that. Amen. That our faith triggers the hand of God and the favor of God. But it is not something that we can do halfway. It's not something that we can partially engage ourselves in. This description of Stephen lets us know that faith had taken a very deep root in him. Stephen was a man who believed God. Stephen was a man who believed the word of God. And Stephen believed that what he was saying and the truth that he declared was a truth worth dying for. I realize in this 21st century that this kind of language doesn't always set well with our mindset. But Stephen said this is a truth that's worth not backing away from. This is a truth worth standing for. It's not just a truth worth living for, but it's a truth worth dying for. Because if people only believe partially, that partial belief will generally only be enough to get us in trouble. There are multiple examples of that in Scripture. 
I believe there's multiple examples of that all around us in the world in which we live today. But we can certainly find examples of that in Scripture. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they believed partially. They were part, part of the way invested. They would sell and give a little, not sell and give all. And it cost them their lives. In Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer believed partially. And for that, he was rebuked by Simon Peter. In Acts chapter 26, the Bible talks about King Agrippa that believed partially. Almost you have persuaded me. Almost I have thrown in it and cashed it all in, but it wasn't enough. Can I tell you today that we can't just have partial faith. We can't just stand a little bit. But if we're going to stand, we've got to stand all the way. Those that are full of faith, I believe, will fight for their faith. If you believe in something, you're going to fight for what you believe in. Because faith is a tremendous part of our core values. Faith is not something that we use for a benefit and then set it aside when it's not convenient. But faith is what we stand on in the midnight hour. Amen. When all else has failed, when someone said there is no hope, We've done all we can do. You are at the end. There is nothing more we can offer you. Someone with faith says, well, that may be all you can do. And that may be as far as you can go. And that may be all that you can offer. But our faith inside says, but we serve a God that is not limited to man. We serve a God that's not limited to time. We serve a God that is not limited to history or precedent. But I serve a God that can step outside of what's ever been done before in this life. Hallelujah. God that will step into uncharted waters. God is serving a God that can take us where we have never been. Amen. Faith is not something we just pick up when we will and then set it down when we want. Amen. Faith, people of true faith, it's their testimony. It is their lifestyle. It's their heartbeat. It's their every passion. Amen. I'm going to tell you people of true faith, and people of true prayer understand that when you when things start going wrong, we're just going to stop right here. Amen. We're going to exercise our faith. We're going to put our trust in God. And that's the man at the center of our story. A man full of faith. A man led of the Spirit. And a man that was not foolish as some suppose, but a man who was definitely filled with wisdom. I believe that when we operate in faith and when we operate in the gifts of the Spirit that we ought to do so with wisdom and with understanding. I don't think God ever calls us to embarrass people or God ever calls us to do something that would shine a negative light on a local church or even the, the kingdom or the work of God. But I believe that God will let us do things with wisdom. Amen. We can do it with power. We can do it with might. But we can also do it with wisdom. There is an interesting story or at least an interesting footnote in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse number 5. We're looking now into the life of King David. The Bible says that after David killed Goliath, that the people of Israel took note of his behavior. Amen. After this man has succeeded in doing what no one else could do, when others were so fearful, they were hiding themselves behind rocks and stones and trees. 
when Goliath was saying things like, send me a man that we might fight together. Young David, who seemed like the least in the crowd, certainly the most unqualified in the eyes of man, steps up and he stands out. He faces down Goliath and he not only does he challenge him to a fight, but he wins that fight. But after after the success of that story, the people of Israel took note about how he behaved himself. And your Bible says that he behaved himself wisely. David had just won a major victory when Goliath was defeated. If there was ever a time for him to spread his wings and to push his chest out and square his shoulders and say, look at me and try to shame everybody around him, no, that wasn't David. David behaved himself wisely. David won a major victory in, in that of Goliath. But eventually, a bigger battle came to him. He became well-known in the land. However, you might note that when, you, when, when a person has notoriety, with that notoriety comes many times a high price. His notoriety caused him to become a target of the anger and the jealousy of King Saul. Because I will tell you today that anointing and blessing both come with a price. Many times it is an unseen price. Amen. At times we may have to endure the onslaught of envy because of the blessings that are upon someone's life. Amen. I hope you hear me today that we say, Lord, we pray that you use us. Lord, you let your spirit flow through us. But can I tell you that when the Lord starts using you and you start gaining some victories in your life, that it will stir the spirit of envy in the lives of others. His notoriety came with a great price. Amen. So we watch this progression as it unfolds in the life of King David. Here is David as a young man that is anointed. Because he was anointed of God, he had a life and ministry that was victorious. And because he was victorious and because he was a leader, he gained more and more trophies of war. Amen. And the more military victories that he won, the greater the following that he had. So did you watch that? As it all unfolded, he's just a young man. He's been called out of the field where he was tending sheep. The man of God anoints him with oil. He is anointed. Because he was anointed, God helped him to be victorious. Because he was victorious and because he was a God-ordained leader, the Lord helped him to gain more and more victories in war. And because he was, he was gaining more and more victories in war, amen, he, the greater the following that he had. This is none, none of this is, is anything that David has ever asked God for. He never ever got up one day and said, Lord, I would like for you to do this, 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 this in my life. He just said, Lord, here I am. Take me and use me. But when the people, he, when he began, began to gain notoriety, he began to gain a greater following. The people began to notice how well David carried himself, how well he conducted himself. And at one point, as David returned from yet another victory over the Philistines, it was here that Saul overheard the women singing the praises of David. That passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel 18 that we often quote, Saul has slain his thousands, 
but David his ten thousands. I'm going to remind you again that David never asked for any of this. He was just up one day tending sheep. Someone runs out into the field and says, The man of God and, and your dad and all the brothers are there waiting for you. And God anointed him, but he kept himself. And as God began to elevate him, it was the people who noticed how he carried himself. But when Saul overheard this little song, amen, when Saul overheard these people that were lifting him up, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Amen. If Saul had had been able to contain himself and understand the progression, can I tell you that every 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 success demands a successor? Amen. If there's going to be something that goes on to the next level, somebody should be able to have to the man will fall upon them to carry it to the next level. Amen. I don't want to be a part of that generation that's weeping and moaning because it's not what it was. I want to be a part of the generation that's praising and singing because it's going on to another level. If Saul could have kept his mind, amen, if Saul could have kept his mind, he should have been able to say, amen, this young man is doing what I was never able to do, but praise be unto God, amen, the gospel is spread. Amen. Victories are being won. The enemy is being defeated. But that proved to be the tipping point for Saul. No longer able to contain himself, Saul spins completely out of control. The divine favor that God had placed on David reminded Saul of the divine favor that had been lifted from his own life. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 18 that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. Now, the challenge to every believer who is full of faith and wisdom, I believe, is to let the Lord fight our battles. Oh, so easy to amen that when we're not in the battle. (laughs) Amen. Oh, it's so easy to say, yes, that's right. We're just going to let the Lord fight our battle. But when you're in the battle, oh, it is a difficult thing. Yes, it is. For each and every one of us, it is a difficult thing. Amen. To let the Lord fight our battle, to take our hands completely off of it, to relinquish, amen, our ability to exercise our right and our opinion, but just to back off. Amen. We got to let the Lord fight our battle. That means I got to keep my spirit clean. And I got to take the high road. Amen. I've got to behave myself wisely. I can't just say what I want to say. I can't just spew something out because it crossed my mind. Amen. Someone, not, not, not a situation associated to this church at all, but someone rather boastfully a few years ago said to my wife and I in the throes of something that was just spinning out of control, they said, well, I just speak whatever comes to my mind. I'm glad I didn't speak what came to my mind. Because I wanted them to just repeat that slowly. Just think about what you said. Amen. Just say whatever comes to your mind. That might be the most dangerous thing that could ever happen to any of us. Amen. So here is a man who said, I'm going to let the Lord fight my battle for me. And so I got to keep my spirit clean. I got to find the high road and I got to set that in the GPS of my spirit. 
and say, this is how I'm going to get from point A to point B. I'm going to take the high road. Amen. You know, there are settings on your GPS. You can prefer your route. You can take the freeways somewhere in the middle, or you can take the back roads. I believe that there is a spiritual GPS, and one of those settings is high road. Amen. Lord, help me to set the high road. And every time, whenever I've got to get from here to here, amen, I want you to help me to take the high road. Can I get a witness in this house today? Stephen was a man. Stephen was a man who was full of power. Amen. And that power became his strength. It became strength to help him stand for his faith, even in the face of, of severe adversity. We're not talking about somebody that just got a little bent out of shape. We're talking about somebody that says, we don't like what you're saying, and because of that, we're going to kill you. Amen. The power of God in our, in our lives, I believe, is directly proportional to the humility that we demonstrate when we are interacting with one another. Amen. The power of God is going to be proportional to the humility that we have in our own life. Now, I think there are two common denominators that we find in both the life of Stephen and in the life of David, and that is this, that neither of these men attempted to retaliate. The fullness of God in their lives, and I believe the fullness of God in our lives, allows us to see the big picture and respond accordingly. And if I could just back up and say that if we could always pray and ask God to help me see the bigger picture here and not just this snapshot of a few moments in time or even a few days in time or a few months in time. Help me to see the big picture and how my response is going to weigh out in the big scheme of things. I believe that taking a stand for our faith involves learning how to deal with things that come in our lives to, to, to alter the course. I mean, we've all suffered setbacks in our life. Amen? To some degree, we have all suffered some measure of setbacks. We thought we would be here, but we're here. Maybe you thought you would be somewhere different in your life at this time, at this age, at this juncture, whatever the case may be. We all suffer setbacks. But in our journey with God, amen, as we encounter those setbacks in our lives, amen, I've got to be careful how I respond to those things that I deem as a setback. I think there is perhaps no greater example in all Scripture of somebody having a lot of setbacks to deal with in their life than that of a man by the name of Joseph. To be sure, he lived his life. Amen. He could have lived his life full of bitterness. He could have lived his life full of indifference. He could have lived his life angry at everybody around him that betrayed him, starting with his own family. He had every right to be the most bitter man in all of history, but he decided, I'm going to rise above the hurt and I'm going to rise above the pain. And I don't care where you find Joseph, wherever he sees himself on day one, because there's multiple chapters and multiple scenarios of Joseph's life, but there's one common denominator. Joseph always started out on the bottom, but he rose to the top. Amen. He would 
rise to the top and be smacked to the bottom again. But he wasn't on the bottom very long because you just keep your eyes on Joseph. He's going to rise to the top because I believe somehow, like we see in the life of David, that Joseph was behaving himself wisely when he was in prison. He behaved himself wisely when he was in the pit. He behaved himself wisely when he had been forsaken and betrayed. He behaved himself wisely. And that demeanor and the faith and the hand of God that was upon his life just caused him to rise again and again and again. Amen. He chose to view every disappointment in life as the master plan of God. Well, this wasn't where I planned on being, but it must have been where the Lord planned on me being. And so he's got his hand on this situation. And so Joseph never gave up. He never gave in. He refused to sacrifice his integrity. I'm going to keep myself pure. I'm going to keep myself clean. Amen. I'm in, I am in this place. I am in Egypt, but Egypt's not in me. Amen. I am here, but where I am is not in my heart. I'm just going to keep myself clean. I'm going to keep myself pure. Amen. A change in perspective, I believe, will give all of us the ability, the strength, the power, the wherewithal to contend for our faith. Contending for faith, I believe, requires finishing strong. Paul was a strong contender for the faith. And the scripture even declares that he kept his eye fixed to the goal. He kept his eye fixed on where he was trying to be in the very end. Amen. I pray today, God, amid everything that's going on in this hour. My Lord, isn't there a lot going on in this hour? Amid everything that's going on in this hour, it would be the devil's pleasure for us to keep our eyes fixed on CNN. It would be the devil's pleasure for us to keep our eyes fixed on Fox News. It would be the devil's pleasure for us to keep our eyes fixed on social media. It would be the devil's pleasure for us to keep our eyes fixed on whatever's being passed along in the streets. Amen. But I'll tell you, Lord, help me to keep pressing. Help me to keep reaching. Amen. I'm not trying to be ignorant or oblivious to what's going on in our world. Amen. But can I tell you, the songwriter had it correct. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Amen. We're reaching for something that's bigger than us. We're reaching for something that's better than us. Amen. We're reaching for something that is beyond the here and the now. Hallelujah. Paul was a strong contender and his faith, with his faith, he finished strong because he kept his eyes on the finish line. You see, losers always focus on what they're going through, but winners are always focused on what they're reaching for. The Bible talks about in, second, in, uh, in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, the scripture says, Wherefore we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Contending for the faith, I believe, is a ministry that puts us in great company. Amen. You see, witnesses, when the Bible talks about witnesses, witnesses are not just spectators. <laughs> witnesses are those who have gone on before. Amen. They have gone on before those that have taken a stand. And can I tell you today that we stand on the shoulders of giants who have contended for the faith. I mentioned earlier this past Friday night while in Pensacola, 
privilege to, to attend the service there. The church now pastored by Brother and Sister Kinsey, established, founded by Brother D.L. Welch and followed with his son, Paul and daughter-in-law, Paul and Shirley Welch. But in one portion of their church, there is a room, a historical room, where Brother Welch, many years ago, decades ago, started his ministry, and, and his ministry was tent revivals, and he went all over the state of Florida and saturated the state of Florida preaching, propagating this gospel. It was in one of those tent meetings. There were several pictures and several pictures of those tents in various places around the state of Florida. Amen. It was in one, not necessarily one of those pictures, but it was in one of those tent meetings where my grandparents, amen, saw the oneness of the Godhead and were baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm telling you that when we, when I say we are standing on the top of shoulders of great people that have contended for this faith, amen, Friday night I was reminded, amen, we've got something worth fighting for. While I stood in that room, hallelujah. While I stood in that room Friday night and I was looking at those pictures, amen, I, I was just reminded that we are standing on the shoulders of people who have stood in the face of adversity. And when the world said no, they said yes. Amen. When the spirit world and the church world tried to push back, amen, and, and, and brought all manner of things against those early churches, amen, they stood for righteousness. They stood for faith. And God help us in this hour if we don't have the salt in our spine to stand and contend for that earnestly contend for that that has been handed to us today oh my God hallelujah hallelujah and so I say to you today I say to you today, it would be one thing if we're just going to try to pull Jude up out of these blessed pages and say we need to obey what this man is saying. It would be another thing if we were to just to try and pry the shepherd man, the shepherd boy, amen, named David, who became King David. It would be one thing to try to pry him out of these pages and hold him up as an example and say he stood so we ought to stand. Amen. We could try to pry other Bible characters out of these blessed pages today and say because they did it, we ought to do it. But can I tell you that what I'm talking about and the men and the women that I'm talking about today, they're not just locked up in this leather book, amen, but they are alive and well today. We are on the shoulders of a great generation before us. But can I tell you today, amen, we're among generations of people that are still standing strong. Hallelujah. They're not all in the grave. Oh, no, no. They're not all in the past. They're not all bound up in yesterdays. But we are standing not on the shoulders of some, but we're standing shoulder to shoulder with others who said, I'm going to preach it. I'm going to sing it. I'm going to live it. I'm going to carry it out because we've got something worth fighting for. <laughs> we have something worth fighting for. My God, let's clap our hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. We've got something worth fighting for. So I say to you today that our determination ought to be shoulders that can be stood on. <laughs> We're standing on some shoulders. 
But we ought to be shoulders that can be stood on. Praise God. Praise God. My, my, my. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house today. Amen. The Bible contains these countless stories of men and women who stood strong against all adversity. My, my, my. Some years ago, I hope you don't take this wrong, but some years ago I, I attended a funeral in a funeral of a very elderly lady who hasn't lived in this community for years. Some of her high school friends, just a scant handful, of course, were at her funeral. And some of those, primarily it was men. There was a couple of ladies there, but primarily men. One of those men introduced themselves to me. I didn't know him. I'd heard the name, but I didn't really know him. Later, much later, I was I was with I was with my uncle, who was Brother Tumman, my pastor, and I, I don't even know why, unless it was for me to hear this. I don't even know what made me think about that moment in time, and and I I shared that with him and. And I told him about the men that were there, and I told him about a man that introduced himself to me. He had something a little bit smirky, I'll just leave it at that, to say about the church in general. And I mentioned that to my pastor, and my pastor said, well, that man is the man who said when my mom and dad, he was talking about his parents, the founders of this church, came to this community to start the church who boldly declared to this community, don't you worry about that preacher. I'll take care of running him out of town. It was quiet. Look around you today. <laughs> Look around you today. Somebody had some pushback. Somebody said it ain't going to work. Someone said you're not going to preach that gospel here. Amen. But you see, God had other plans. <laughs> and so who would we be today to not contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints? We've come too far to turn back now. Amen. We have come too far to turn back now. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll close with this. At 7 p.m. on October the 20th, 1968, a few thousand spectators remained in the Mexico City Olympic Stadium. More than an hour earlier, a man, a runner from Ethiopia, crossed the finish line, the winner of this 26-mile event. As the remaining spectators prepared to leave, those sitting near the marathon gates, all of a sudden started hearing sirens and, and police whistles and they all stopped and everybody turned around, all eyes now on the gate. A lone figure wearing the number 36 and the, and the colors of Tanzania 
come staggering into the stadium. He was the last man to finish the marathon. He had fallen during the race and injured his knee and his ankle. And with his leg bloodied and bandaged, he grimaced as he hobbled the last few miles or the last few steps, rather, of this 26-mile race. Those remaining spectators stood, and they applauded. This man, as this man hobbled across the finish line to take last place. Later, a reporter asked the question that was on everybody's mind. Why did you continue running when you were so badly injured. To which he said, the country, my country, did not send me 7,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 7,000 miles from home to finish the race. Amen. Amen. There are people around you today, if they had the courage, they would ask you, why are you still running? After all you've been through, I realize today, I realize today that we can't look around in this house and see all the injuries. We can't see all the bandages. I realize today that we're not all looking at bloody gauze and we're not seeing anything splattered or dripping on the floor. But can I tell you today, please don't walk out of this house and think just because you can't see it, there's no wounded people here. So some people would ask, why are you still running? With all the wounds, with all the opportunities you've been given to walk away and say enough is enough, why are you still serving God? Amen. Our reply would be this, because I didn't just start this race. Because I had nothing else to do. I started this race because I wanted to finish this race. We have a faith worth contending for. We have something worth fighting for. Yes, we do. Let's magnify him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.